this week on LB in the Basement. You know, a lot of these guys don't just get in there to bully some people or just be rude. These guys actually genuinely care about the public. And, you know, there's a reason why they put the badge on. You know, we put the body armor on for us. We put the badge on for you. Welcome back to another episode of LB in the Basement. Today, we're going to be discussing body cameras, the evolution of body cameras. And uh, we're going to talk to my guest a little bit about how it all evolved and what does he think about body cameras in general. And you also get my opinion on it. First, I want to give a shout out to Los Tortugas. You can find him at 1215 South Germantown Road. It's a Mexican restaurant. It's one of my favorite. They have tons of options there. A little bit on the pricey side, but you um, definitely will enjoy your food. All right. So today I have David Skinner. He's been with the Memphis Police Department for two years. He's a Marine Corps. He's also a firearms I like to call professional. He always educates me on uh, different types of weapons and guns of that sort. I've been working with him for a little bit over six months here. He's uh, also my partner here in Memphis. So it's great to have uh, him on the show. Welcome to the show, Skinner. Hey, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing okay. Just um, another day, man. Loving it. Another day in Memphis. Another day in Memphis. So instead of trying to uh, butter him all up, I'll let him... uh, tell you guys a little bit about himself. So what do you want them to know about you, Skinner? You know, I'm just a law enforcement ever since I turned 19. Got a federal commission back in 2010. I worked with Marine Corps for five years where I did a series of law enforcement throughout California and other places. And I uh, had the real real world experience to not only dealing with uh, the alphabet gang, such as the DEA, FBI, and stuff like that, who's uh, needing some manpower. But, you know, I got to also work with our, our finest in the United States Marine Corps and getting to experience the troubles that they go through after they get back from deployments with mental stresses, if you will. Awesome. Awesome. So as you guys can see, you know, I'm, I enjoy working with this guy. He's uh, highly decorated, knows what he's doing out there. So it's good to have him here on the show. Can you tell us a little bit about what you know about the MPD body cameras or body cameras in general and how they evolved over the years? Well, body cameras really came came around uh, after Ferguson, Missouri, when people started distrusting law enforcement because, you know, we had a media perspective and, you know, the government officials' perspective in regards to the situation. And we had a completely different look and outcome on the law enforcement side. A lot of people didn't feel like the Ferguson, Missouri case was justifiable due to the fact that he was unarmed. But a lot of people don't take an effect that, you know, you know, consideration with the, the gentleman was 300 pounds, was fighting a 150-pound officer. A 150-pound officer was getting bested in every single way, physically. And from the reports that I read and the understanding that I've read is Mr. Brown had hit him in the face two other times. And he's, and Darren Wilson, Officer Darren Wilson said, man, I knew if that guy hit me one more time, I wouldn't be able to get back up or be able to do my job, at which point he believed he would have killed him. Now, Darren Wilson didn't just approach Mr. Brown for no reason. He was wanted for a strong-arm robbery of a business. He assaulted, a, I believe, an 86-year-old gentleman and stole cigars, which, I mean, pretty minuscule in, in the grand scheme of things, but he struck this gentleman in his own business and stole property from him. So that's strong-arm robbery of a business. That's a violent felon. The gentleman was then twice the size of the officer and actually bested the officer inside the vehicle and physically started fighting him. And there was fingerprints on Mr. On Officer Wilson's gun to, to show that they believed Mr. Brown was trying to take the firearm, at which point is deadly force authorization at, at any point. But I still believe Mr. Wilson did his best 
in regards to taking control of the situation. Now, one of the big reasons why the controversy and body cameras were really pushed into overdrive is because there was no actual good footage of it. You know, there was no media footage covered. You know, there was no actual evidence to show what exactly happened other than some shady, shaken videos towards the end of the situation where it did show a gentleman walking up with his hands out and walking towards the officer. At that point, you know, it does look like a, a cold-blooded murder. And, you know, that's one of the big things that not only law enforcement wanted to do is they wanted to show the media what happened prior to it, is they also wanted to be more transparent with the public. But, I mean, body cameras were coming around before then. It just wasn't a big idea. It was more just something that we could do, you know, that would be convenient for evidence reasons. A big reason why law enforcement does it is for evidence reasons, you know, to kind of show what exactly we go through in a day-to-day life. Because I know it seems weird, but these police directors, they're out of touch with what's going on on the street. Back in their day, 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds play with metal wheels and sticks, you know, and they're, they're messing around with their, their 25 cent soda pops and a gallon of gas was 10 cents, <laughs> you know, and we're dealing with these kids that are flashing guns on Instagram, you know, raping and killing these other kids. And it's just like, what's going on these days? And so I, I believe a, a lot of older folks, older generations, and a lot of older law enforcement and mayors and directors of politicians are out of touch. You know, they think, when an officer punches a 16-year-old in the face in Walmart for shoplifting, that they're doing it just out of maliciousness and that a 16-year-old wouldn't fight a cop. That's not the case. These kids, the younger kids, are the ones you got to worry about because they're the ones that are still looking to make make a name for themselves on the street, fighting cops, shooting folks. You know, I pull over a 33-year-old man. I ain't worried about it because he's smart enough not to do nothing. You know, and he's made it to 33, so he's probably not going to do nothing unless he's already been caught up in some stuff, you know, way beyond wanting to go to jail for life. So, so what I'm gathering here um, is that the body cameras came about after the public losing trust in their law enforcement. And that is actually, to me, understandable uh, with the lack of footage on the Ferguson case. I think it helped. The body cameras, you know, get pushed into action and the laws being brought about to get this done. But without any body camera footage or any cameras on the Ferguson scene, it's kind of like, you know, what the officers the side of the story is and then what the what we see or what the citizens see. So I feel like you said in the beginning, there is a lot of trust lost from the citizens. And, you know, they they that's why body cameras became so favorable for for most of the citizens. So as an African-American, and of course, you're a male white, like most of, you know, African-Americans don't trust the police anyway. So when they get that that video footage, that lack of evidence, it's kind of hard to sway them back over to what we deal with every day and how we deal with every day. I don't know about you, but like me, I tried to put myself in that that situation and I tried to envision what really happened compared to this small video piece and what I've seen. And I, I would think that most officers would have got from that that he did put up a struggle with the evidence and everything in the report. I got that, too. I want to pause for just a second to make sure the listeners understand my views on the Ferguson case. The video evidence available to the public shows a black man gunned down, no doubt. With the body camera or not, black citizens don't trust the police, man. I'm simply saying with no body camera footage showing what happened prior to the shooting, we only have the officer's statement. And with the lack of trust the citizens have for law enforcement, that's just not good enough, man. 
hence the heavy push for body cameras. That's clear. Back to the episode. I guess sometimes I just feel like in certain situations, I feel like I can handle a lot more than what another officer can, but I'm not that officer, right? So I may have felt like I could have fight a little longer to my partner get there, but this officer may feel like, hey, this isn't going in my way. I don't feel comfortable. I'm in danger of my life. So I always try to tell some of my other peers, some of my other friends to be careful how you judge what's going on because every officer is not the same. Every officer deals with situations a bit differently. And just to speak to that a little bit, like I can think about scenes me and you are on, right? And um, I always like being on the scene with you because sometimes we do disagree. We'll look at each other, we'll feel a disagreement, but we always work through it. We always, you know, find common ground and get the job done, whatever we have to do. We may be in disagreements, but at the end of the day, we always find common ground because we're we're from different parts of the the world. You're from? I'm from Oregon. You're from Oregon, right. So I've been here since I was 14, so I always say I'm from Chicago, but but really I I got a nice stake of time here in in Memphis, Tennessee. So I'm from Memphis and um, we just think different. We're going to think different, you know, and I think that our nationalities and our race plays a, a big difference in it. I grew up totally different from you, so that's pretty cool. Let's talk a little bit about the future of body cameras. How do you feel body cameras will evolve from now, from today? Do you think this will be something that helps law enforcement or ultimately what do you think does it cripple the law enforcement? It's not going to cripple the law enforcement because in, in the, the general totality of the situation, law enforcement is going to continue doing the, the right thing. You know, a lot of these guys don't just get in there to bully some people or just be rude. These guys actually genuinely care about the public. And, you know, there's the reason why they put the badge on. You know, we put the body armor on for us. We put the badge on for you. So a lot of people don't realize this. We got a lot of discretion. We have the ability to do things in law enforcement. You know, we can charge you with that DUI or we can have your, your dad come get you. We can charge you with that DUI or we have your wife come get you. We can overlook certain situations. But with the lack of trust and the constant push for body cameras, it's going to start taking away the liberty to go ahead and do things with law enforcement. You know, I can work with people, I can negotiate with people, get information, exchange information. But with that body cam running, that drug dealer is not going to give up the murderer because he's going to get murdered. And it's going to be on camera with him telling us all about it. So it makes things kind of difficult. And, you know, people joke, you know, oh, RoboCop, no one wants a RoboCop. Well, that's what the, the media is wanting. That's what they're pushing for. They want transparency. They want the robot who goes by the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law, and really pushes into, you know, no choices. They want us to play by the book 100% unless we're dealing with them. And then they want the, yeah, the unless we're dealing with them. <laughs> so it, it, I just think it's funny, you know, because every day, you know, folks are like, oh, we need good, honest law enforcement. And you know what? We are. We're honest. You know, yeah, we might tell you lies, but in court, we'll tell 100% truth. I mean, there's situations where I wanted to fudge the numbers a little bit to make sure that this guy went to jail, but I knew I didn't have probable cause. I knew I didn't have solid arrest on it. And, you know, my integrity means more than anything else. You know, I'm not going to go out there. I'm not going to risk my job, my career, and who I am just to put one dirt bag behind bars. I'll find them later. I'll get them later. However, you know, with these body cameras, they're going to push to almost always recording. We'll have no privacy on the job. I mean, they'll, they'll watch us take, you know, bathroom breaks. We won't have the opportunity to have that discretion to interact with people or have the ability to turn it off, to kind of talk off the camera, to get, you know, informant information. So it's it's really going to cause a, a big divide in regards to how we do our job, the ability to actually investigate things. Because one of the big things that a lot of people don't know is when investigators get on scene, 
we cut them off. Right. And a lot of people, you know, they wonder why, why do we do that? And it's because we don't want you to know the process, how to stop us from finding you when you commit a crime. And a lot of these guys, because of our body cameras being open to the public and public record, they do actually, you know, investigate us and how we investigate them to prevent it. That's the reason why people start wearing gloves when they commit burglaries. People start wearing masks when they, you know, rob places. And that's so they can continue doing it without getting caught. So if they know our tricks and our trade, you know, secrets, we're on the short end of the stick here and we're, we're trying to fight upstream without a paddle here. Do you feel, so you're saying that you think the cameras will continue to roll here in the future? Like we'll just always have to keep it rolling all yeah. the time? You think that's where it's going? Is that yeah. what I'm getting from you? Yeah, I think they're going to take away the ability for us to be able to disable our cameras, mostly because, you know, that the incident over here in Memphis where Martavius Banks was shot by Officer James after, well, a policy policy violation pursuit ended up in him shooting him. From my understanding of the situation, I believe it was a good shoot. I don't know the full story. That officer I've dealt with in the past, he's not always been the most upstanding character, but it was a very unique situation. But the fact that the officer was constantly turning off the body camera to try and conceal the fact that he was violating policy is an issue. Yeah, hey, absolutely. I, I feel the same way about um, that one as well. And that one, man, it's it was overall a shady situation. It shouldn't have come down like that. But I you know one of the things about Memphis is, is, is to get the job done. Sometimes some officers have to be shady because Martavius Banks had eight warrants. At what point are we going to stop letting them run? You know? Right. I mean, granted, a lot of them are misdemeanor. I think all of them are misdemeanor. But, you know, at what point do we let lawlessness run free in the streets? Because... It's really not that big of a deal, you know. At what point do we appease? But that's getting off getting off topic there. Right. Um, <laughs> no, I mean because of officers turning off, doing shady stuff, they're going to try and restrict all of us. You know, it's kind of like gun rights. You know, we should take away all the assault rifles because one or two people too bad. You know, I mean at that point, if we go with that logic, let's take away cars because people drive drunk, or let's get rid of you know prescription drugs for people because people abuse them. It's a very slippery slope and it's controversy. And a lot of people don't understand, you know, where our rights are being violated by the government. And a lot of people are willing to give up their rights, which I don't understand. You know, I feel like the government should only be there to handle all military, not be able to dictate and regulate everyday life. But body cameras, man, they're going to be, I feel like they're going to be full scale war against the police in regards to government taking over, saying that we have to have them on. They always have to be running and they'll choose what stuff they cut out. But, I mean, there's several instances where body cameras shouldn't have hurt that officer, but they have. Mm -hmm. Like the situation in Georgia where they stopped a lady for going 90 and a 45 while it was raining, passing people on the left illegally. I mean, reckless driving all day. Constitute, merit, arrest, and towing the vehicle. Towing the vehicle with reckless driving. Locking them up. And what the officer did is they were were in a, a difference of agreement here. One officer wanted to give, give her a misdemeanor citation, which she'd have to show up to court. And it's a just it's similar to arrest, but she gets to keep her vehicle, go on her day. Mm-hmm. The other officer said, hook and book. So they got into a discussion on body camera because they didn't think it was a big deal. And they flipped a coin on an app. Now, every day we flip coins in our head. You know, we may not do it, but we look at the totality of circumstances and we're determining based off of driving record or situations on why we stopped them to whether or not given that punishment. And these officers were actually terminated because they actually physically flipped that coin instead of in their head. And it's unfortunate because every officer essentially flips that coin. But people don't like the fact to see how we process it. They want it 
I mean, essentially, they're going into, they want that RoboCop, and they don't even realize it. With us knowing that these situations happen and that we could be punished for using our discretion, man, we're going to be RoboCops. And it's just because they're using the video cameras against us. There, There was never anything legitimately wrong with what these two officers did out of Georgia by flipping the coin, essentially, because that's what every officer does in every single situation. And that's the reason why a lot of people become friendly to us is hoping that they can get that flip in their favor. And, you know, it's unfortunate that these two female officers ended up getting fired for it because, you know, high insight 2020, yeah, that looks bad in in a court situation. The fact that you're letting someone's arrest, the freedom be determined by flip of the coin. But she violated the, she did the crime. So she merited being arrested. She merited any, any charge, yeah. the misdemeanor or being arrested. Right. And there's the citation or, or the arrest. However, they determined it to be inappropriate. Well, the inappropriate action was only done by her by reckless driving and putting other people's lives at risk. The officer's determination and what they decided to do was then scrutinized and the officers became the bad guy. You know, for some odd reason, the court decided to overlook the fact that this lady was putting people's lives at risk for her own, for her own selfishness. And that's just one of the things that kind of I don't like about body cameras. But, you know, in my situation, and that's probably what you've experienced me in, in day-to-day life, I go by the book. I mean, right. I hit them with the book any chance I can. And the situations of things, you know, the majority of people don't get caught for the crimes they commit or the problems that they cause. And so... By the time I, I run into them, and by the time I got good criminal charges on them, they've probably committed over 20 offenses that I haven't been able to catch or other officers have probably let go. So I'm a little bit more strict than, I mean, I'm sure you've seen that on the scene, but yeah. it is, you know, the circumstances that I run with. You know, I have a, a big zero tolerance policy when it comes to committing crimes. Now, I've all, you know, we've all been there. We all speed. I've got myself a speeding ticket, and that state trooper out of Oregon really, really got me. She didn't cut me a break, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, but when it comes down to things that I know I wouldn't do, I'm very much more strict on it because of the fact that I wouldn't do it. I will never drink and drive. If I ever do, I hope they take my badge away from me because at that point I am a criminal and you know, I am kind of strict. I'll admit it. And that's only because it is what it is. And the reason why I push so hard on being strict, is because of body cameras. I don't know what they're going to do to me if, if I let this guy go. They're going to charge me with dereliction or anything else. So I got to protect me and my family, and I got to play by exactly what the book says. Now, the book doesn't always mean that way. However, I got to go with what I, I understand it is. And if I don't quite understand it, I got to stick to uh, guidance from senior officers such as yourself or lieutenants on scene. And typically, they go with a stricter situation because we're all on camera. We're all on camera. And it's really it's kind of negative towards the public because the public doesn't understand why, you know, five years ago they were getting cut a break for this kind of situation. And now they're getting the court date. So, so just to make sure I'm understanding you correctly, we're talking about the body cameras, not allowing us to have that officer discretion to make that decision to say, Hey, this is a misdemeanor. We may want to let you go. Or since we're on body camera and you're being, videotape i don't know who's going to view this i'm gonna have to make an arrest right you're gonna have to be charged with whatever the offense it is that you committed that's exactly it you know mm-hmm. they're, they're really taking away our liberty to cut people breaks if we think they're good people right because i mean you know how it is we always meet that one person or we yeah. caught them in just a bad decision a bad situation 
And you can tell this person's never really done anything like this before because they're freaking out. You know, they, they legitimately show concern and sympathy and remorse for what they've done. Right. And, you know, we have the ability to cut them a break with that body camera, you know, with a lot of situations coming up where they're judging officers on what they do in regards to the body camera footage. Man, we're going to have to go hundred percent strict RoboCop on them, you know, and it's unfortunate. Do you, uh, I'm going to ask you a tough question here about the integrity since we touched on that a little bit. Do you think that we have officers that don't use good judgment and are here just to, you know, target certain, you know, races or other people? Do you feel like we have that on this job? Not on this job. I want to say in Memphis. I want you to deal with it directly with what you deal with. Do you feel like you have other like male white counterparts that come to work and feel like, hey, I'm targeting this certain amount of people. I want to make these amount of arrests. From my experience as a, as a white officer, there's been officers who've voiced their opinions. And I feel like a lot of the opinions that I've overheard and that I've seen are a little bit, you would never see them because these guys feel comfortable because of the color of my sure. skin. Gotcha. So you're saying that there has, you're able to have conversations with other male whites that they I probably wouldn't hear because I'm a male black. Yeah. They, they, okay. they would never even brought it up or even consider talking about it because, because gotcha. you know, but do I feel like these officers are out here directly going after African-Americans or specific, you know, Latino groups or anything like that? No. I feel like there is a big cultural divide here in Memphis um, okay. because of the fact that Memphis is predominantly an African-American community. I feel like a lot of white folks out here get, you know, singled out and targeted. I mean, there's been several times I stopped a gentleman. He was a black guy. And he immediately just starts saying, you're only pulling me over because you're a racist white cop. And it, it gets frustrating. I got to look past it. I mean, that's, that's really not that big of a deal because in any, any situation, people try and antagonize to get out of the situation. And they feel like if I mess up, then they can justify their wrongdoing too. But if I know an officer that I feel is legitimately out here just going after African-Americans or Hispanics or anything like that, you bet I'd turn them in. Okay, um, that was gone. that's what I was leading into. How, how, how would you feel, how comfortable would you feel approaching that officer trying to, you know, shed... Because, you know, the, the climate of policing is just horrible. So yeah. everybody's thinking, hey, you know, these officers are out here just trying to get arrest. They got stats they got to f- fulfill. So they got quotas they have to meet. So how comfortable would you feel, with, you know, turning that officer in or trying to get the officer some help or maybe trying to educate that officer on, you know, those type of situations that we deal with? You know, the, the longer officers are on, on shift, they become jaded. You know, and it's unfortunate, you know, working out here in Memphis as a white officer, you see more African-Americans committing crimes. But that's just because of the culture in the community. If you go to Oregon, 90% of the criminals are white. You know, if you go to Memphis, 90% of the criminals are African-American. It's just because of the population. I got you. Yes. Um, so people who grew up in Memphis, you know, 15, 20 years on the job as a white officer, you're just getting tired of dealing with, you know, all the African-Americans being locked up. And so you kind of build a stigma. And, but, you know, you have to understand, you have to look past their initial stigma. And you got to talk to them. You got to see how they treat people on scene. Now, officers that I've ridden with, who's kind of had that kind of a stigma there, I could still see that he generally cared and he didn't care really what color they were. They cared about the actions, the contents of the character of the individual that they were currently dealing with. Dude's got a gun, had some weed, got some money. You know, you could tell that he was in a gang. He treats them a little bit more coarse than what he would treat another, you know, individual who was a nice, upstanding citizen, regardless of their skin color. So that's just something, you know, I, I looked into. But, you know, I ensured the fact that dealing with the officers that I've dealt with, if they would have said something that's a red flag to me, I'll address it with the supervisor. I don't allow 
you to tarnish the badge that I wear because people don't see faces. They see a uniform, they see a badge. So if that uniform and badge is doing stuff inappropriate, illegal, or anything like that, it comes back direct reflection on me. And I'm not going to have that. I want the citizens to be able to trust me and approach me. So if I had felt, or if I had met that there's officers that are, are racist and, you know, going after specific ethnicities just because of their own personal vendettas, then yeah, I turn them in. However, I have met officers, that little man syndrome, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. The high school bullies who couldn't <laughs> figure out what they want to do, so they just want to continue messing with people. Yeah. You know, people that try and make that joke about me, man, I care about people. Yeah. You know, I pull over that 16-year-old speeding. Instead of giving him a ticket, I give him that lecture. You know, you're going to die if you continue going 100 <laughs> miles an hour on the freeway. It's just, right. It is what it is. You're, you're in a, you know, an 82 Honda, you know, you're going to die. <laughs> so I, I try and help him out as best I can. But I mean, in all reality, with, with because because of the body cameras, essentially, I, I do become a little bit more strict. But no, it is, it is definitely a different community out here than what I'm used to. And there's been definitely some situations where I've had to take a look of what they're talking about and make them elaborate a little bit more. And, you know, I don't know if that's made them backpedal and try and mediate the situation and take care of it, you know, because they notice that I'm taking cues and I'm listening to what they're saying. But, no, I, if I met any officer who was out here, you know, um, integrity violation, causing issues just to cause issues because they were racist, I would definitely turn them in. Or I'd make sure that they were on body camera and I'd report the incident so they can watch it. But it's, uh, it's definitely a, a, a different environment than what I'm used to back in Oregon. Well, I definitely want to commend you because um, I don't get that vibe, by the way, to all my listeners. I don't I don't get that vibe from him when I'm with him on the scenes. I just feel like he handles everything fair, you know, fairly according to the law. So and he's here with me, talking with me in my home, in my bootleg studio with this podcast. I don't know. I've asked probably six other male white officers to come talk with me. And they all was like, nah, I don't think it's a good idea. but when I asked him to come talk with me, he was like, sure, when you want to do it? And so, I mean, I, I just feel like with him being here alone and, you know, giving us his approach and opinions on this topic and, you know, talking with me is uh, speaks speaks to itself how good of a person you are. And I, like I said, I do enjoy I enjoy working with you. You keep me straight. You keep me on my toes. So even when I'm, I feel like I'm falling behind, uh, you're there to uh, say I need to get my, my stuff together. So. I do appreciate that. I do appreciate that. A funny story, man. Like I told you, I, I always got to get on you, man. I call him Mr. Ice Cream, man. You know, he's, <laughs> he told me a story. Tell him the story, man. Tell me about your business when you were back home in Oregon well, before we sc- wrap it up. High school economics, they, they, they wanted us to put together a business plan as if, you know, we, we were starting our own business. So we had to do a write-up and figure out, you know, profit margins and stuff like that. And, you know, we, we did an ice cream business, you know, three months out of the summer. And then we're sitting there thinking, man, this is a good profit margin. The overhead's not too much. You know, we can get this thing started. So we enacted our, our plan and we ended up starting an ice cream business. And, you know, Oregon only is warm for three months out of the year. I mean, it rains, you know, 180 days or more. So in, in three months, you know, we kind of monopolized the ice cream business out of Clackamas County. And, you know, you have to have a mobile solicitation permit and stuff like that. And a lot of people didn't do it because it's only three months out of the year. So they just try and sneak under the radar. So what we did is we kind of mobbed it. You know, we, we went in there and we used law enforcement to our, our abilities, you know, and 
we started calling on the other ice cream and, you know, running them off our area because they didn't have global solicitation permit. Territory wars. Yeah, Game of Thrones. Huh? Yep. <laughs> Gangland, you know. Oh, and uh, we're out there peddling ice cream, you know, and it, man, it pulls so much money. If it wasn't for the fact that my partner started getting into substance abuses and stuff like that because <laughs> of all the money, man, we, we would have been, you know, kingpins of the ice cream out of Oregon. Um, man, that's probably how your own ice cream went, huh? Yeah. Yeah, we would have done it, man. Hey, that's a great man. It's great that you, as a young young male, you know, came up with your own business. A lot of people don't think like that. You know, a lot of people just don't give themselves the credit, you know, to, to go out there and actually take advantage of it. If it wasn't for the fact that I love law enforcement and I want to be in law enforcement so much, bro, I'd be a billionaire. Like, yeah. I, I don't know why. I'm just pretty good with, you know, business and numbers and accounting. Man, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've met me. I'm pretty personable. Yeah. I can talk anyone. I can talk to Eskimo to buy an ice cubes. I mean, it's uh-huh. it's crazy. Um, you give me enough time, I'll, I'll convince you to do something dumb. But uh, uh, that's I try not to be a sleazy salesman. But I mean, it is what it is. I was yeah. pretty good at it. But supply and demand is a big one too. You know, where you see a demand, you can fill the supply. Where there's a large supply, you can turn a good profit. So it was a good opportunity. It was definitely a, a learning experience. You know, hiring your friends and realizing that. Being a friend and being a boss and being a manager is not always ideal. Right. It's not so, always go hand in hand. Yeah, I try to push my son to, uh, he always says, when I get older, I want to do this. And I'm like, when you get older, you can do this now. Right. This is what we work for, you know. And whatever you have in your mind, you can you can make it happen right now. See, so the know? problem, today's generation stumps the, the tomorrow's generation. We tell them, oh, you can wait or put that off. Or right. Not. You know, you hear kids who getting bored of high school and getting a GED and getting a job. Now, if you get your GED at 16, man, you go to college. You know, you get that that extra education to help you out. And that's one thing that I, I unfortunately did not get the opportunity to do. I actually joined the Marine Corps, so I didn't go to college. I dabbled in college. You know, I've done some college credits and whatnot, but it's definitely something our next generation needs to do. Unfortunately, with today's educational standards, I feel like they've really watered them down. So essentially, you're paying people to go through college, just reinforce the stuff that you learned in high school. And it's extremely frustrating to go and spend thousands of dollars to reiterate what you already learned in high school, and you're just wasting money. So I always advocate for trade schools, you know, things that you didn't learn, welding, welding school, yeah. you know, diesel mechanics. Man, diesel mechanics make some good money. <laughs> just stuff like that, you know, or even... You know, law enforcement and whatnot. I mean, law enforcement trade school isn't very hard because everything you need to know, they'll teach in the academy. But I guess that is considered to be a trade school when you graduate the academy. Yeah, trading is something that needs to be taught more in regular school. You know, like yeah. I feel like it should be moved to the public schools way more than it is. Uh, it'll give the kids the opportunity to, you know, pick up something, a skill early. So that they won't be struggle, struggle so hard if they don't want to go to college. I went to college. I got my degree. It was cool. I was actually the first person in my family to go to college. So I felt like that pushed me more than anything else. Just to say I started and finished something because I really wasn't a, that wasn't my thing. But I just felt like it was just on my shoulders to finish. So I got my BS, but I just knew school wasn't for me. But it helped me figure out the avenue I wanted to take in life. So that was always cool. And I met some amazing people in school. I'll I'll never take for granted the opportunity I had when I went to uh, UT. So yeah, it was cool. 
Well, that's going to wrap it up, man. Again, thank you so much for being here, man. Like I said, uh, it was great having you on here. All the followers, you can follow me at LB901Talk on Instagram and Twitter. That's at LB901Talk. Until next time, we'll see you guys soon. You guys have a blessed day.